0: open up your Bible to Romans 12. That's where we're at. And there's a little handout for you that you can follow along. And like last week, I am like just short of commanding you to take notes this morning. Usually it's an invitation. It's really kind and gentle hearted. This is like just short of, I command you to write this because you're going to want to look back on these and, and refer back to them often. Um, for you English majors or even people who are just above average smart, you're going to be driven crazy by the apostrophe in Mondays. I apologize. That was my error. I'm confessing my sin right now. I have missed the mark, and it was pointed out to me this morning after things printed. So um, you can just circle that and write an F in red if that makes, that makes you feel better. But you don't even need to show it to me because I already know my, my sin. Um, by way of review, uh, we, we sort of compiled... Last week's chunk of the list in a handful of questions, and we followed this pattern: "Am I?" And then we had a, a question. So am I sincere? Am I discerning? Am I affectionate? Am I honoring? Am I enthusiastic? Am I faith-filled? Am I generous? And what we talked about is this: It's all under the heading of "Let love be sincere." This is what genuine love is about. And on the one hand, real love is not up to me, and on the other hand, real love is up to me. I don't get to define what real love is, but I do get to participate in real love. I get to receive real love, and I get to participate in being a conduit to give real love. Now, when you look at Romans 12, starting in verse 9 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 21... You might look at this, and again, we sort of spoke to this last week, that who really lives like this? I mean, it sounds uh, it sounds mythical. It sounds like a fairy tale to think that people could actually live like this. And let me tell you who lives and loves like this. It's those who are loved. Those who are loved with a great love of God are able to live in this same way. Have you been forgiven much this morning? If so, you love much. Isn't that right? If you've been forgiven much, you love much. There's sort of this economy to God's mercy. It's like those who are farthest from God seem to be the ones first in line to receive gifts when God starts dishing out gifts, and that's called grace. Hebrews 12.15 says this. We started our men's group this way, and I told them, I said, guys, I'm going to start the sermon this way. Because we need to be reminded of this. It says these few simple words. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Do you see the challenge of every preacher? I can't make you not miss the grace of God. I can do everything I can to give you ears to hear. I can preach the message faithfully. I can pray all week long. I've done those things. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. I want to put that right up front. We have this thing on the side, responsibility. Look at it on the wall with me so I'm not alone. Responsibility is this fourth section of Romans. Romans 12 through the end of the book is all about behavior. It's all about distinct responsibilities that you have, Christian, to God in terms of how to steward your mind, in terms of how to steward your body, stewarding these gifts God's given to you. But if you miss the context, if you miss the first 11 chapters, you set yourself on a trajectory. Hear me, I think it's this serious. You set yourself on a trajectory that leads to death. It's cold, dead religion to jump to the responsibilities. Without right thinking, you jump right to right behavior, and and it turns to death. So this idea of celebrating true love every single day is a kind of code of conduct. Last week we looked at this idea of be constant in prayer. If you read this list and you take seriously the responsibilities God's given you to do, it will drive you to be constantly in prayer, right? I mean, cuz you read this and you say I'm supposed to I'm supposed to be sincere in my love. I don't feel sincere right now. God help me. I'm supposed to abhor what is evil. I'm starting to entertain evil thoughts. God help me. So be constant in prayer is what it drives us to. It also calls us to keep God's mercies in view. Why did I spend an entire sermon on one verse? Not because I want to be in Romans for the next 24 years, although it may be appropriate to do that. It's because in view of God's mercies is so paramount to everything else that was to follow. It's not just responsibilities that we have, like duties, like slapping it on. It's the fact that our very ability to do this is a response to God's great love for us. Let me highlight two of the mercies uh, that that are really profound. Verse 8-1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we continue our list of asking, Am I? And then blank. You need to remember Christian... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Keep that mercy in view as we go along this morning. Here's another great mercy that we have from God. Romans 6.4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Satan will sing the first part of the gospel over your life time and time again. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is what? It's death. What does Satan never do? He never gets to the refrain. Hallelujah, Jesus saves. Hallelujah, Jesus paid the debt. He'll never sing that part over you. He'll always sing the first part of the gospel over you. That's no condemnation. But praise be to God, we get to walk in newness of life. So as we see these commands laid out rapid fire, we get to celebrate, it's a mercy of God that we get to do this. We talk about this quite a bit. Rest in the finished work of Christ so that you can strive at the good work that he's given you to do. Man, that just lands heavy on this passage. My dad used to say all the time, to his four sons when we would say do we have to what would dad say no we get to and here's the thing with dad dad meant it like dad lived this way do we have to do chores no 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 no. we get to god's blessed us with a house to serve him and love and celebrate we get to take care of it can you do it no you get to do it with me because you're my family and we're going to do this together Dad, do we have to go to church? Oh, my goodness, no, we get to. So get to and have to lead. Again, they, they lead to two different places, don't they? How blessed I am to have a, a dad who, who modeled that for me. Have to leads to drudgery. Get to leads to joy. Joy. All right, so we're looking at a sort of code of conduct. And if you were to read um, Jesus' great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount found in the first part of Matthew, if you were to read that and then read Romans twelve nine through 21, what you would see is this. You would see sort of a Cliff Notes takeaway. It's almost like Paul was taking notes during the sermon, and these were his takeaways. And so under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have just this amazing overlay of all that Jesus preached over here being taught now by Paul. And his code of conduct is moving in sort of in concentric circles away from the middle. The middle is your family. And when I say family, I mean both your household that you live in and this right here, your church family. And so we've been looking so far really about how to interact with church family. And we're going to move out now into concentric circles into those outside the faith and even those who are enemies, those who you would say sort of are farthest. But here's what I want to say. It starts with the home fires, and that's a warning to us to tend to your home fires. Don't be so phenomenal at showing patience and humility to those outside the home and not do it at home. In fact, tend to the home fires, catch this, so that it warms every other relationship that you have. God has put you in a household God has put you in a household, and that Christian household is like a greenhouse for love, where you just go, man, we we are just going to get this right here. I read this this week. It it stuck with me. It said this. It said, uh, if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. If it doesn't work at home, don't export it. Don't come here and play a game. You want to do detrimental things to your kids, play Christian at church, and then just chuck it all at home. Tend the home fires and let those warm in concentric circles, those who are further away from center. So now we work our way to outside the family. Remember, these are 28 rapid-fire commands for every single disciple of Jesus Christ. This isn't for super-Christians. This isn't for those who somehow have reached varsity. It's for all of us. And it's hard to think in all of scripture of a place more rich in commands. Like how are we supposed to live supernaturally now in our relationships than Romans 12? If I were to tear one page out of the Bible and say, God, I need one page to just help me work on the rest of my life. I think Romans 12 would be an amazing chapter to hold in my hand because I look at this and say, wow, this affects me every single day and I will be growing and striving at the good work God's given me to walk this way in newness of life for the rest of my days. All right, so here's what we did this week. I added, I added something. In fact, I forgot to change it on the screen, so I don't have to hide my mistake. Mondays doesn't have an apostrophe. I'm a sinner. I missed the mark. I, I, I did that wrong, so that's on me. You can cross it out. If it drives you insane, if it's going to distract you the rest of the morning, take your bulletin and circle it and put a red F next to it. Come talk to me later. It was my fault. So I added even Mondays to our title from last week because... Um, T-G-I-M is not a thing, right? Uh, We should thank God for Mondays, but it's not really a thing. You don't see people with t-shirts, bumper stickers, no one's doing hashtag T-G-I-M. And the question we're asking is this, is life in God able to get me through every day, even Mondays? So we looked last last week at the idea of celebrating real love every day, not just Valentine's Day, right? But every single day. And now we're asking the hard question of, how how about on Mondays? And Mondays is shorthand for something much broader than Mondays. I happen to love Mondays. I really do. I love getting into work. I love, I love Mondays. I'm weird that way. But Mondays is representative. It's shorthand for at least the following. Mondays is shorthand for lost days. There are times when you are stuck and you are completely unsure which way to go backward is not an option you can't go back because you've burned bridges you've had things happen you cannot go back and forward seems so scary and so uncertain that you feel stuck and you're lost that's monday some of you in this room could attest to this truth that god does some of his very best work when we're lost enough to receive directions some of you have been there. You've been so stuck that it that it opened your life to a God that you've been running from. Uh, Mondays also represent pain days. Can you celebrate true love when all around you, to quote C.S. Lewis, is always winter and never Christmas? Can you? Now, it's one thing when your own nerve endings and cells are misbehaving according to your plan and causing you all kinds of grief and pain. It's quite another when that's done emotionally, when that's done spiritually. It's quite another when someone else that you love dearly is going through extreme pain and you are utterly powerless to help. That's a Monday. Can you celebrate real love? That is, receive God's glorious love, believe in it, and be a dispenser of that real love even on those painful days. You know, you're never more open to a cure than when you are in pain. Some of you, your stories say, you know what, I reached a place of emotional pain that I couldn't mask, I couldn't run from, no one could help despite their best intentions. And it made me realize I'm sick from the inside and I sought out God as a doctor. Man, those are, again, where God sometimes does his best work. Here's the third one. Mondays are also evil days. We're to hate evil and glue ourselves to good. The whole idea of absolute evil is making a comeback in our society. There are things happening so, atro- so atrocious that all of a sudden, people who didn't believe in absolute truth before, they're spouting it. I mean, I see it on every news channel. Unequivocally, not this is my version of evil, just evil. There's probably no better convincing proof of man's lostness and wickedness, two things the Bible makes explicitly clear, than the presence of evil. Last week's news was dominated by US, USA gymnast coach Larry Nasser who acted wickedly for a couple of decades towards a whole bunch of young girls on the USA gymnastics team. You know what I didn't hear? I didn't hear any pushback from any commentator. I didn't read this anywhere, that his 175-year sentence was too much. There was just no pushback to that. People were like, yeah, that's about right. And I tell you, I knew I didn't need to hunt far for examples, but I had no idea what was coming on Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday in Florida. No idea. Can I say I was shocked by it? I'm not shocked by it. But on evil days, which translate to a Monday, what happens is this. The answers that we get are altogether unsatisfying to us. Christian and non-Christian alike, believer and unbeliever alike. They sound unsatisfying and trite. And evil has this way of causing a collective conscience to say, there has to be a better way. There has to be more than what this life is stirring up. So even on the evil days, God can be highlighted. We celebrate real love every day because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I drove into work on Thursday morning to see this. It was a really windy day on Thursday, and I see this Valentine's Day balloon, and I was deeply offended as I drove in, and here's why. First and foremost, I feel a certain sense of ownership. My kids think that this is our second home because they see me here a lot, and we come here on Sundays, and, and I drove up, and imagine if someone decided to decorate the front of your house for you. There's a certain offense to that, right? It's like, hey, wait a minute. You know, this is this is our church. Like, who's decorating our church? So there was a certain offense to that. But the second part of it was this deeply significant symbol that represents so much is being defamed by a silly balloon, by this silly holiday. Someone put this up here. I'm pretty sure Ben didn't do it. So I thought, you know, someone just decided to take it upon themselves and, and not more than a few moments in, I mean, I drove in, I came in, and I parked right here. And by the time I got done parking, I realized, man, this is a total whisper from God. And I walk, got out of my car, and I went and snapped a picture of it because I, I, I wanted to show you this. I didn't have in mind necessarily that I would use it quite yet. But here it is, that, that the love of God, even to the point of death, Demonstrates for us the exceedingly high cost of what real love is. God spends more than a little bit of money on balloons and flowers one time a year to, to have us and to keep us secure. The second thing is this not only does God reveal Himself as love, God is love, but God is lover. And this last winter camp, we explored this idea. That that love story that you long for, that you ache for, is first and best found in God. What happens is we get trapped in our sin and so we treat each other's bodies and we try to grab for a love story apart from God. We sin and then shame is like this this little callous so we don't invite God into our love story because we're ashamed of how we've behaved. God wants to be at the very center of your love story. God really is the perfect lover. Jesus died for his wife. And to see that and understand that as the beloved, it's who we are, we just sang. As the beloved, we receive that intimacy and we say, man, this can't be found in any other spot. And it stirs in us devotion like nothing else. So the first seven questions, you will have to go to last week's podcast to hear. So now we're going to cover uh, sort of the final six for the rest of the chapter. So under the heading of genuine love, uh, starting in, in verse that started in verse nine, ask yourself this first fill in is this, am I blessing? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now, one of the things that God does not command is emotions. He doesn't command emotions. He commands what's in our control. We have the ability to steer our mouth and to cry out to God and ask Him to do this work in us. God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. All of you, whether you did it in a religious, polite way, or whether you did it in an openly rebellious way, lived your life at one point. Maybe you're still living your life at this point. Spitting in the face of God, flipping God off, doing whatever you can to say, you're not important. That's the rebel sinner. That's the ruin that the first few chapters Of Romans painstakingly lays out. When you read all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what it's talking about. And to think that God blesses people like that with marriage. He blesses people like that with health. With abilities to contribute and design and keep things going. To work hard. Blesses people like that with children. This remarkable gift to steward this life. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Let me ask you this. Let's get really specific for a moment. Monday's coming quick. Let's take your commute. You're driving to work. You're driving to school. You're driving to where you have to be. Your responsibilities take you somewhere. Are you blessing or cursing? Let's just start there. I've been watching my driving all week with this question in mind. I would have been, I would have answered in a more prideful way last Sunday than this Sunday. Now, even if you don't, even if it never escapes your lips, right? What does the great sermon talk about? Men, you know, even if you're thinking it, right? Telling your friend, Snapchatting, whatever you're doing to like, let the world know I've been wronged, man, we want to shout that from the rooftops. All right, you're now at work, you're now at school. Are you blessing or cursing your teacher? Homeschoolers, watch out. Are you blessing or cursing your boss? Again, whether you say it to his or her face, whether you say it out loud in the break room, whether you simply think curses or blessing in your mind. How about you get back home? Are you blessing or cursing Your spouse, your parents, your roommate, your kids. Again, it never has to escape your lips. This is what God's calling us to do. Now, note for a second, we have not even strayed into enemy territory yet, right? We're just talking about sort of the concentric circles of stuff we live and move in every single day. What is, the, what, is the, what is the command in 14? Bless those who persecute you. Now, I know you think kids, that you know, the teachers are persecuting you, or you think your boss is persecuting you. It's probably not reached that level yet. Are you blessing or cursing? And I would just point you to the book of Acts to read the account of Stephen. Stephen gives this impassioned speech filled with the Holy Spirit living in this supernatural way because he's met the risen Jesus Christ. And what does he do while people start throwing rocks at him with no intent of stopping until he's dead? He says a few things and one of the things that he says that absolutely stands out to all of us is this. God, do not hold this sin against them he is being persecuted actively unto death do not hold this sin against them i'm not sure exactly the scriptures don't really tell us this but i know that he must have learned this from jesus father forgive them is what jesus said from the cross And what I know that we all know is far more than forgiveness from us who's being sinned against, they need forgiveness from God. Anyone who's ever persecuting you more than needing your forgiveness, they need God's forgiveness. So maybe Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to pray over them what they needed the most, God's covering over this sin. Maybe he prayed that because he couldn't muster to not hold it against them in the flesh that he couldn't hold it against them, but he knew the character of a God who could not hold that sin against them. I don't know any better oil to kind of get this going than prayer. Some of you have had real enemies come against you, and it's a a sheer act of faith to begin to pray for them. It's a sheer act of faith to begin to pray over their soul and pray for them. And some of you, can share incredible testimonies of saying, God, you've turned my heart for that person in a different direction. I have heard powerful witness from people sitting in this room that God's done that work. Last week we saw that real love is affectionate. Real love is also compassionate. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Christian, do you know you are called to move toward the suffering? Not only are you called to move toward the suffering, you're called to move toward the rejoicing, which is a good thing. This is modeled by God himself, who is close to the brokenhearted. He's a celebrating God who commands feasts to happen. We see Jesus who attended both weddings and funerals. One of the great thrills of getting to do what I get to do is going to hospitals. And when I go to hospitals, I go to meet people in their pain, and I go to meet people in their great joy. I love to go and meet babies. That's a fun thing to do. My wife is exceedingly envious on those days. She has to repent of envy. I also go to people in their pain and weep with the weepers. It's so powerful when in little windows of time, um, I've been on the receiving end of this. Pastors need to be pastored too. And I can remember one time when Becky was called in for an emergency thing that went on and um, I was out to breakfast with friends And I remember showing up at Good Sam, just like I've done many, many times. I've seen many of you flat on your back on the hospital bed, so we all know we're looking better today than we do on some days. And here's Glenn Miller, my pastor, is there. He's praying with Becky, and he beat me to it. Man, it was so good to receive that. And I sort of caught on a fresh end. Wow, I often go, I don't know what to say. It's not in my agenda. Go find people who weep. Go hunt out suffering. I always walk away from those times, though, thankful that God opened the door for me to be there. <clears throat> I've had Ben come in. Ben's been with uh, with me, not only in biological kids, but at the airport, welcoming uh, welcoming new family members. Uh, and it's, it's good to be with people who are weeping and with people in their joy. Um, as Ben mentioned, this week we got to go... To a very compassionate person, and this person uh, in our church community just wades into suffering. It's amazing, by the way, how if you avail yourself to the pains of people, uh, you're, you're never, ever out of a job. I can think of John Garza, who's another one who just does this. The more he avails himself to weep with those who weep, the more people there are to weep with. And uh, Linda has posted this, so I'm going to go ahead and just use her name. But Linda is a very compassionate person who, in her chronic illness, has been able to minister to a lot of different people. And Linda was flat on her back this week in a hospital bed. And she just needed to be ministered to. And she did a great job of just receiving grace instead of feeling the need to always be dispensing grace. And it was great to hear that a few days later, she's out of the hospital. She's out with her son Noah to dinner. I was so thrilled to hear from Joey. And just this morning, um, some really serious things are going on with Linda's body that are um, confounding sort of all earthly medicine. So I want to pause for a moment and pray for Linda and Joey and lead you in what I hope you will continue to do through the week. And that is just lift up the Morales family and their two kids are Noah and Lola. So let's pray. Join me. God as a church community, we grieve with the Morales family in their pain and in their suffering and in their confusion in these dark days that they're walking through. God, we thank you that they are firm believers in you and your character. We see that by their words and we see that by their actions. God, would you so fill their lives and hearts and minds with your peace and with your comfort? Um, God, such that we just, it's unexplainable apart from a divine act of you. We pray, God, for healing. Our longing would be that she is energetic and up and about and giving praise for um, just your miraculous healing power. God, we hold that up to you. We appeal to you from that. We trust you. We have hope on their behalf. We pray, God, for Lola and for Noah and um, and the family there for Joey as he loves and supports his wife. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've witnessed in churches a lot of good and a lot of bad. It is a distinctly Christian thing when I see a barren woman in a church community not only attending but heading up a baby shower for her friend, rejoicing with her. I mean, just, just loving it. I'm absolutely thrilled that we have singles in our church who would be the first to jump in and party with a couple getting married. Even though they might have that longing themselves to come around and just say, I rejoice with you. Because your good is my good, and my good is your good, and we're in this together, and we're family. Church, that's how the Christian community Functions. Let me tell you this there is endless opportunity to obey this verse every Sunday that you come to church, every time you walk into community group. And those are just the two sort of formal set aside times in our week that we say we're carving out time to be with God's people, to be with family. And all through the week, there's plenty. So step into that. Here's the next one Am I peaceable? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Skip down to verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, part of living in harmony with one another from verse 16 carries with it this idea of no partiality. That's one aspect to living in harmony. Romans 2.11 says, for God shows no partiality. So quite simply, supernatural living requires this fruit from God to to grow in us that we can mimic his character. I tell you this all the time. We get in the car and in a large van filled with lots of different personalities, we say this once in a while. We just commit our time. We pray, God, would you help us to do the hard work of getting along? It sets our brain in motion to say, this probably isn't going to be easy to be impartial. This probably isn't going to be easy to put that person's needs and musical preferences over mine. Does any of this sound like church? It's too hot. It's too cold. The chair, it's like living in Goldilocks land. I mean, this is, you know, some of the things we can tend to sort of bicker about. Do the hard work of getting along. It's going to be a, a battle. And, of course, part of a new way to be human in Christ is to seek out peace. How did Jesus open his sermon? Blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, what? Sons of God. We're to seek out peace. Now, Paul gives us two exceptions. But before we get to the exceptions, some people want to jump to the exceptions. Let this sink in. Christian, you're to be a peacemaker. You are not called to be quarrelsome. You are not called to be contrary. Being contrary is not a spiritual gift. There are all kinds of things that we need to put off for this to go on. We put off the old self of gossip. We put off the old self of jealousy. We put off the old self of fits of anger and a short fuse. God, help us to seek out peace. What are the two exceptions? He says, if possible. That very clearly implies sometimes peace is not possible. Harmony may not be able to happen. He's not promoting a peace at any price mentality. Secondly, he says, so far as it depends on you. So it takes two to tango. Evidently, it also takes two to get along, right? If someone, and I'm not using this term lightly, is hell-bent on not getting along with you, is there going to be peace between you and that person? There just isn't. It's not in your control. You don't have control of what that person's doing. So some people have been enslaved for years trying to control something that the Bible says, you're released from that. You've already released them. You, 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 You release them to me. So sometimes it's only what depends on you. Harmony is better when this next fruit is growing in the whole family, and that's this. Am I humble? Verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let me just say this. When you and I are feeling superior to other people, we are living in a fantasy land. We really are. We're living in a bizarro land that doesn't even really exist. When we think about who we were before we got the grace of God, before we had a right understanding of how God sees us, the ways of the flesh divide, stack up, keep keep score, and we walk around, and this is where partiality comes in. That person fits in below me, they're above me, I need to get their attention, and this is the life of many people. If you are living superior to others, you're living in a fantasy land impartiality makes sense only when you think about how you're viewed by god how did you get into this family in the first place you came as a needy child help i have nothing to bring to this god help me and that's a great starting point here's an action idea take time every single day to do something that is below your pay grade like, take time to do some specific activity that's below your pay grade. And you say, well, I don't even get an allowance. You know what I mean. It's not your job, but, but it, it could do something else. And then here's the second part of it. Don't tell anyone about it. Let that be a little secret treasure between you and God. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That means, again, be a ninja about this sort of thing, right? Right? Go and just do something every day that's very specific, and when you're doing that, you are worshiping as much as when you're dressed up, sitting in church, singing or taking notes to a sermon. You're doing that just as much as when you're in your prayer closet and pouring out your heart to God. You get to you get to bring a little church right into the moment that you're doing that. Go out of your way to wash feet. One of the things I get to do is I get to have a front row seat to all kinds of stuff, and I'm here all the time, and I'm going to tattle on someone who probably doesn't want me to tattle on him. not even sure. Oh, there he is. He is here. Um, man, the next time, maybe today, when you drive and these trees out in the back don't scrape the top of your car, you can thank Carl Smith. Carl Smith, for days and days, this week and maybe last, I've, I've lost track, I show up here at random odd times. And here's Carl cutting, sawing up in trees. Things are dropping. And he's just doing the chore of what he's done around this place for a really long time. I remember distinctly before we relaunched this church 11 years ago, Carl trimming trees and telling me his his vision for these trees he's discipling out there. He's like, if I cut it here, it's going to grow this way. And I'm like, good, Carl. I'm glad you think of that because I don't ever think about trees until they're bothering me. That's just doing the little things around the church family. Here's number 12. Am I honorable? And I say, am I honorable? There's all kinds of negative ways I could have said this, but track with me in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know, with evil on display in fresh and powerful ways and ever creative ways, week after week after week. I want to draw attention to four ways that Paul is saying the same thing in this one chapter. Verse 14, we looked at it. Do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. In four different ways, Paul is saying this same thing that retaliation and revenge are absolutely forbidden for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Four different ways telling you how it is to go. You know what happens whenever there's a natural disaster, whenever something uh, happens with a school shooting or some other atrocity, this question gets raised. Why doesn't God act the way we want Him to act? God becomes front and center in these times. And I've asked that a lot. God, you could have stopped this. You could have let someone know about this. You could have prevented this. You're on the throne. You're sovereign over everything that happens. Why doesn't God act the way we want him to act? You know a question you'll never hear on your TV and in blogs, for the most part, I think? I haven't heard much of it. Is this. Why don't we act the way God wants us to act. Why don't we act the way God wants us to act? Whenever absolute evil is just clearly on display and the whole community or country says, yep, that's wicked. God, why don't you act the way we want you to act? Man, the mirror is never turned inward. Here's what's frightening about what I saw on my TV screen Wednesday and the days that followed It doesn't take long as I'm watching this 19-year-old individual being shackled and put in court and all these things to realize the evil that we see played out on our TV screens is right here. It's right inside of our own chest. And if your pride right now is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute i've never loaded a gun and done these things i've wanted to but i've never done it go read the sermon on the mount you wanting to equates it equates to the same thing so here's what's never discussed we talk about the evil acts we talk about an evil individual but rarely do we talk about the evil capital e evil force that's behind all of this you know what talks bluntly about that the bible christians understand this quite clearly We understand that that same evil, wicked force that is driving this young man to go and and shatter and kill and destroy families and whole communities and a whole nation grieving is the same evil force that wants to steer us away, that takes us away. Here's what's going to happen next week. We're going to see that God has already set up a safety net because people don't act the way that they should. I saw law enforcement on display Wednesday in a powerful way. Imagine you're the arresting officer of a guy that you're pretty sure just shot up a school and probably has friends of yours or perhaps your own kids, and you don't even know the status of them yet. The fact that law enforcement showed restraint... I'm not sure their internal motives, but I know this. It shows, it puts on display that their vow to do their job meant something in that moment. They were tested in that moment. Their trust of the legal system to say, no, no, we don't live in the Wild West where we just take vengeance ourselves. It means something to them. I've done a lot of study on the atrocities of the Holocaust. And what's frightening is this whole notion of letting good overcome evil and not vice versa is that you find people coming in to rescue Auschwitz and all the different concentration camps and what they are doing to the guards that perpetrated that is the exact same evil. And by overcoming evil with more evil, you've just joined their team. Think of which jersey you're wearing when you do that. So next week we're going to look at our responsibilities to the civil government. You can read ahead in verse 13. It's one of the most powerful places for that to happen. The fact that doctors and law enforcement, probably, probably many of them who aren't Christians, acted in that way. We look at that right now and we say that's honorable. They did something I don't know if I would have had the character to do. We look at that, we say that's honorable. So that's why I phrase this one as, am I honorable? Am I doing what's right in the sight of all? Retaliation and revenge are forbidden for disciples of Jesus. I'm not going to get into heaping burning coals on one's head. You go research that. It's fun. We'll save that for another time. Here's the last one. Am I holy? Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 9, we looked at last week, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. When evil is done to you, it expects evil in return. When someone curses you, they expect cursing in return. Someone wants to fight with you, they want to fight back. How different it is. What a different note is sounded when grace is offered. When evil is met with good, when cursing is met with blessing, when fighting is met with peaceability, grace is this breath of fresh air, it's a cup of cold water, it's light that puts out the darkness. We see this built into creation, that light always wins over darkness. There's no such thing as a flash dark, right? Remember that? You can't turn on a thing and suddenly it shows darkness in a light room. It doesn't exist. And when is light most powerful? It's when your power goes out. Now, pretend you didn't have cell phones because this doesn't work as well. But when the power went out when I was a kid, you know what became the most valuable thing in our house? A little candle. Actually, maybe a match. A match to light the candle. Those two tiny flickers of light all of a sudden brought tremendous comfort. It it brought productivity. We could finish dinner. We could could see what we were doing all of a sudden. In the darkest moments is when little, tiny, insignificant, shoved in a junk drawer in the back, you wouldn't think about it for two seconds, becomes really important and valuable. Christian, that's you. You live in a dark time. You live in a dark culture. Your little flickering light... God can use to do all kinds of wonderful things. We've looked at 13 virtues that define the supernatural life that we are called to live on this planet. And once again, like I ended last week, this should leave you uh, both exposed and lacking and yet hopeful and inspired. Friends, you don't have to do this, you get to do this. You now are empowered. Do you want the opposite? Oh, let my love be insincere. That's the best. Help me to just cling to evil and shove away everything good in my life. I mean, consider the outcome of the opposite. You get to have this. It's gifted to you to walk in newness of life. God's character is on display in Romans, and we see his character even by the commands that he gives to us. If you still have your notes out, write down these things very quickly. We see that God is good, that He's inclusive in His love and mercy. He's, he reaches to the nothings and nobodies such that in God there's no such thing as a nobody. We also see that God is compassionate. He walks with us in our pain. He walks with us in our joy. If you want to see how God comes alongside us, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Look to the birth. We also see that God is involved and not silent. God speaks blessing over us. He's involved in our lives. We see that God is conqueror. He's not impotent. He overcomes evil with good. And finally, as we head to this song that we're about to sing, as we look to the cross, God is just. It's seen on Calvary's cross with utter clarity. He sees and will set things right. Here's what's beautiful, friend. I'm not minimizing your past hurt and your past pain. Jesus doesn't minimize that when he tells the story of, of uh, this guy who gets forgiven a massive amount he could never repay and then throws in prison a small amount that a person couldn't repay. He's not minimizing your hurt and pain. But what he's saying is this. If God is on his throne and he's just, and he's doing his job well, and he's paying the debt, we don't need to chase after and be a debt collector to other people. We can release all of that. I want you to sing this song in preparation for communion this this week. just in the spirit of setting up communion. um, Mike, can you bring up the last slide uh, of my presentation that just has what God does and what we do? I want to put these up for those of you taking notes. I'm not going to take time to walk through them, but I'll leave it up for you right now uh, just so that you can see it. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. As we enter into communion, let me highlight two things of why the cross is a powerful picture for us. Number one, it shows this. It shows that the punishment for evil has been accomplished by Christ. The violence, the ugliness of the cross shows This penalty of sin, it teaches us not to make light of sin, if that's what was needed. But Jesus has paid the fine. Number two, it shows us this really, really powerfully, that there is no crime or hate done against you that is too great to not act the way Paul tells us to act in Romans 12. We're not able to say, well, we're supposed to bless our persecutors unless they do this to us. It doesn't say that we're not to overcome evil with more evil. Well, unless they start to accuse you falsely and you're perfectly innocent. Well, unless it starts coming to blows and they start physically hurting you. The cross powerfully shows us that in abundance. If anyone was completely innocent and falsely accused, it was Jesus Christ. Illegal trials, all kinds of nonsense. And it did come to blows. came to worse than blows. It came all the way to a very gruesome, painful, one of the most historically brutal ways to kill someone and torture someone. So with no exception clause, Paul says, now by this new life that God's given to you, walk in the way of of Jesus. Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Part of that cloud is Jesus Christ. Listen to this, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oftentimes I stop reading there. Listen to the very next verse. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Church, consider the hostility against Jesus in your endurance to run the race that Romans 12 is calling us to walk.